I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. In this episode, I talk about crying. Where's her heartbeat? That question changed everything. We were only two weeks away from our daughter's due date. All three of our sons had come a week or two early, so anticipation was high. Any day now, our first daughter, Nicaea, would be snuggled in our arms. Everything was ready for our home birth. We were old pros. Each of our sons were born at home in a pool specially designed for water births. All the needed materials and equipment were organized neatly in the corner of the room. All the boxes were ticked on our checklist, except one. We still had one last routine checkup with our midwife, Gay. My wife, Emily, had already seen our backup doctor a few days before. He had said everything looked good, and we expected to hear the same from Gay. Emily raced home from the grocery for the checkup. We were trying to squeeze it in before heading over to the Monroe County Fair. I had only a few hours before I needed to be at work, so time was of the essence if we were going to eat elephant ears and ride a -a tilt-a-whirl. Our house was like a busy intersection. Shirtless boys zipped around, searching for their shoes. I quickly put away the groceries and made salami sandwiches. All the while, Gay kept moving her Doppler around my wife's plump belly. Her face increasingly wore a concerned look. Emily began to look the same way. I asked, is something wrong? Yes, Gay said. I can't find the heartbeat. Everything stopped. It was quiet. I was still. The boys were still. Emily's face was empty with shock. My oldest son's voice broke the silence. Is Nicaea okay? I told him she was fine. I had just felt her kick the night before. The Doppler must be broken. Nonetheless, we packed everyone in the minivan and went straight to the doctor's office. The boys sat in the waiting room with Gay's assistant. I accompanied my wife into the ultrasound room. Minutes later, it was confirmed that Gay's Doppler wasn't broken. There was no heartbeat. Nicaea's life was gone. She was dead. I held my wife as she cried. My denial was melting away. This was really happening. We had lost a child. The doctor told us that we could wait for labor to begin naturally or induce. We thought inducing labor would be the wisest course of action. An appointment was set for later that night at Bloomington Hospital. The boys needed to be situated. I left Emily with Gay and walked outside. I kept my composure as I passed through the waiting room. I smiled at the boys. They needed to be shielded from this for the time being. I walked a few yards from the exterior door of the doctor's office. All my emotions started to fire like the revving of a race car engine. Pain, anger, confusion shot through me and exploded with a loud scream. What started as a standing howl ended with me sobbing on my knees. People stared. I didn't care. I only cared about my family. I gathered myself. I asked God for strength. And I went to work. I made all the necessary calls. Our pastors, 
parents, closest friends were informed. Some good friends came and picked up the boys. Gay left so she could prepare our hospital appointment later that night. It was just me and Emily. We stopped at McDonald's on the way home. It was going to be a long, difficult night. It was difficult to eat, but we needed to have food. I remember that the sky was pure blue that day. It seemed wrong to me. Shouldn't it be raining? Neither of us talked much as we drove. We were both stunned. There were no warning signs. Both Emily and Nicaea appeared to be totally fine at the obstetrician's checkup the previous week. Our life had suddenly taken an unexpected turn. Our shock numbed us enough to be operational. We were greeted at our home by our pastors. They prayed over us and read scripture with us. They didn't offer any special insight. They just loved us and encouraged us to trust God. It helped prepare us for what was to come. We checked into the hospital, and as we walked to the elevator, the woman at the registration desk said, Congratulations! It stung. She didn't know, so I didn't say anything. I just politely nodded my head. At the labor and delivery desk, I purposely told the woman that my wife was here for a stillbirth. One congratulations was enough. They put us in a spacious delivery room, had a television, a couch, and a special hospital bed. We watched Barter Kings. We slowly amassed an army of friends and family. My father-in-law had dropped everything the moment I called him and made a three-hour drive in two and a half hours. I watched him love on his daughter. It was a bittersweet sight. I wanted to love on a daughter someday. Elders from our church came and prayed over us. My little brother brought me some Mountain Dew. Our senior pastor turned around midway on his vacation to be by our side for just a few minutes. Gay was there. We needed every one of them. The Pitocin drip was doing its job. It wouldn't be long now. Everyone left besides the hospital staff and Gay. We'd soon be face to face with our daughter. I'd been there for the birth of all my children. I wasn't about to leave Emily alone. The anticipation was weird. I dreaded seeing Nicaea. Would she be deformed? I'm no stranger to death. I once watched a man die from a heart attack. His whole family was around him crying. It looked like a family reunion. The EMTs tried to push life into him, but it didn't work. My uncle Roberto, who was more of a brother to me than an uncle, died barely over 30. My cousin Greg unexpectedly died at 17. Several of my friends died in car accidents in high school, but nothing could me for the birth of my stillborn daughter. When she came out, it was worse than I ever imagined. I gasped and almost fell over when I saw her. The nurse asked if I was going to be okay, and I snapped, no. She was a little version of her mom. She was beautiful. There were no deformities, but neither was there any life. Her soul was gone. It's been shy of eight years. But that experience, the death of a daughter, remains a defining moment in my life. It was a moment where death made me alive. That incredible, shocking pain, unfroze emotions, which had previously been repressed and stunted. I was an extremely sensitive boy growing up. I needed a level of protection which I never got. Quite the opposite. I was exposed to extreme situations that had a searing effect on my affections. God, in his strange mercy, used the death of Nicaea to give me back an emotional range. I was able to mourn and to cry. It was good. Men should be able to cry. Jesus wept. 
But there are two sides to every coin. Our culture wants men to be more emotional. But the last thing we need is a bunch of emotionally retarded men giving in to the whims of their affections. What we need is men who possess emotional temperance. John Flavel writes, Thou lamentest thy deceased friend, but I would not have thee grieve beyond what is meet that thou should not grieve at all. I dare not require thee. Tears may be excused if they do not exceed. Let thine eyes, therefore, be neither wholly dry, nor let them overflow. Weep thou mayest, but wail thou must not. Exactly. Intemperate men pose a very real danger to society. There is a reason that boys don't cry was once an important part of preparing boys for manhood. Males are both more powerful and aggressive than their female counterparts. They have a greater potential for violence and destruction. Therefore, it's crucial that young men learn how to master their emotions. Moreover, tragedy and violence is a common experience, and the world counts on, needs, men who know how to modulate their emotions. They need the stone, the rock, that can weather the storm. Men must know how to keep a cool head when calm turns to chaos all around them. Men must know how to diffuse or redirect their anger towards something constructive. Men must practice emotional restraint. If men are to be leaders, they must be temperate. There's a place to weep. There's a place for anger. There's a place for aggression. There is no place, no room, no excuse for intemperance. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. And Paul says, the fruit of the spirit is temperance. Master your emotions, brothers. Don't serve them.